everybody. Good to see all of you back here. And those of you who are online, this is your first time here, or even if you've been here before, welcome to Thrive Church. My name is David. I serve on the pastoral staff. I am thrilled that you decided to be with us live in the studio audience or digitally on Facebook or YouTube. So glad to see all of you. Um, for those of you who watched either online or were here for Easter Sunday, that was pretty awesome, wasn't it? I mean, it was really, last week was really great. Uh, enjoyed that one an awful lot. And uh, I'm, I'm always a little worried, not worried, worried's the wrong word, but I'm always a little concerned about the week after Easter because it's almost like we have this Easter hangover, right? And so uh, I, was, I just popped online uh, before I got up here and saw that uh, our numbers are, are normal online, so thank all of you for, for being there. Um, but there's a lot of you in here today too, which is really cool. Um, there's this letdown that often happens after major events, right? I mean, it's the reason, reason why some athletes get depressed after a big game or um, entertainers will, uh, will feel that letdown after a big show if you've been part of a theater production or been part of a concert and you've been building up for it. It's the reason why some brides cry after the wedding and the poor groom is just sitting there going, wait a second, what just happened, <laughs> you know? And, and to be honest, you know, pastors wonder what they're going to preach about after Easter because, <laughs> you know, we've been building up to it. Christmas is the same way. Um, my friend Mike once said, uh, said to me that um, Easter is kind of like your Super Bowl. And I said, yeah, and, and Christmas is kind of like March Madness because you got all of that stuff that's building up for it. And, and I was thinking about that <clears throat> um, this week, and it seemed to me that the disciples, after the death of Jesus, may or may not have had a letdown, but things were, were just about ready to get going. You know what I mean? I mean, there's not a whole lot of downtime. You've got death. What are we going to do three days later, and everything's just odd. Can we say that? I mean, it's just just very strange. And uh, I thought that it would be a good idea for us to take a look at the interesting things that occurred after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you might want to punch that in. Um, For Holy Week, I spent most of the time in Mark. Um, Mark is my favorite of the uh, of the New Testament Gospels, um, not because it's the shortest, I always have to give that little disclaimer, but um, I tend to like the energy in Mark. But Luke, uh, because of his background as a physician and as a Greek, frankly, he tends to um, provide a little more detail uh, just in, in the historical nature of his work. And so uh, there's some interesting things that are going on <clears throat> at the end of his, of his biography of Jesus. Now, the hazard, though, and, and we're, we're getting into some, some uh, significant Bible study here, um, but the hazard that, that we have whenever we read the Gospels, and I think we've got to keep this in mind, is that we tend to look at each um, story as like a vignette and um, almost as like a standalone. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. Um, one, it's easier for preachers to preach like that just to take the single story, whatever it is, and, and kind of uh, pick it apart and, and come up with ideas for it. 
But also in the New International Version, you have the little subtitles. And it's like you get to the subtitle and something in your brain says, oh, this is something new. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? You, you get this like mental break whenever you're reading. Um, if you, you know, have a, access to a Bible, like a New American Standard Bible or something like that, there's none of that. And so you just start reading and you've got to figure out where one story ends and where the other one begins. And I think, I think that's, that happens to us uh, as we're reading through the Bible stories is that we end up kind of segmenting certain parts of it and we lose sight of the bigger picture. Um, because when you read a, a story or a novel or something, yes, there are chapters, but how many of you, when you got into high school and maybe into college, realized that some of those chapters are really long, right? Yeah. I remember um, when I was uh, quite a bit younger, I read through The Lord of the Rings, I don't know how many times, that was before the movie, okay? Those chapters were long. And so we, we kind of miss some of what the story is because it's segmented for us. And so my, my plan uh, today and over the next couple of weeks is to look at some segments of Scripture and zoom out so that we can see something else, okay? So that's, that's kind of where I'm going. Just trying to want to try to orient you to what we're up to. Uh, so we're going to zoom out on Luke chapter 24, and then I'm going to offer some thoughts, okay? So we'll make some observations as we go along. So here we go. Um, we're going to be uh, Luke 24, 1 through 11. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read some highlights. So on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is a little different than what we read in Mark, and that's okay. You have different authors who are writing to different uh, audiences at different points in time, and they're emphasizing different things. It's a freedom that we give to the author, okay? So... The basic storyline is the same. Some of the details have changed. Does this make sense? Nod your head so I know you're awake because I can't see your faces underneath the masks at this point. Good, thanks. So um, what happens is, is that they're, they're you know, kind of wondering what's happening. And instead of one person, two men appear uh, at the tomb and they ask probably the greatest question in all of the Bible. Why do you search for the living among the dead? Love that. Um, preached on that a few years ago, probably will again, because it's just one of my favorite questions. It's a question that I ask myself from time to time, right? And you probably do too. But they give the news that Jesus isn't there. He's, he's risen. And so these women who went to the tomb are now <clears throat> headed back to the disciples to let them know what has occurred. So verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11. That's the disciples. Remember there were 12, and then one of the guys betrayed Jesus, and he went out and did himself in. Okay, so now it's the 11. It's not the 12. So they told um, all these things to the 11 and to all the others. And in verse 11, this will make you mad, and it probably should. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now think about it. 
If somebody um, that you know went through a violent death experience and you saw them be buried somewhere and then someone came back and said, no, that they're risen, you would think it's nonsense too, right? These are real people living real lives in real sets of circumstances and they don't have the benefit of reading the end of the story, just kind of like your life, okay? So keep that in mind. All right. But here's the, here's the important little piece of this, is verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. And by the way, the word here for wondering is the same word every time you, you read that people were amazed by what Jesus had done. And think about that. When something uh, truly extraordinary happens, you are left with certain emotions. One is amazement, but the other one is, okay, what, what just happened? How, how did that occur? And that's what, G, uh, what Peter is feeling at this, at this point. So notice what Peter did, though, and I think this is really important. The first thing that he did, he ran, and then he was amazed, okay? He, he, he got up and he ran to the tomb. He needed to check this out for himself. Yes, it sounded like nonsense, but Peter, being a practical fellow, went off and checked it out. He wanted to make sure that it was um, as they had uh, described, and he was amazed by it. Now, pro tip, keep that in mind, okay? Peter ran and was amazed. Keep that in mind. Moving on through the story. <clears throat> we go through uh, verse 13 through 26. This is typically called uh, the road to Emmaus. Okay? Now, that same day, two of them, two of these disciples, there are the 11, but there are other followers of Jesus as well. Uh, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Uh, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And of, of course, you know, some truly extraordinary events, you're going to have a conversation about this. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, I love this, asked them, so what are you discussing together as you walk along? They're a great question, right? It's like, so what are you talking about? And of course, the two disciples described to him the death of Jesus and, and the, kind of the aftermath and the events surrounding it. In verse 24, Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. This is an extraordinary thing that, that, that occurred. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, How foolish you are. I don't know about you, but I hear that an awful lot. I'm just going to say that up front. How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Okay? So imagine that scene, walking along the road, guy walks up, they're having a conversation, and then, then all of a sudden he kind of busts out into some, some true biblical scholarship. This, is, this would be like, um, you know, you're sitting on a park bench and you end up having a conversation 
about the Bible with an Old Testament scholar. That's happened to me before, by the way. It's really cool. <clears throat> but again, this is real life. These are real people living real lives, and they're, they're going through this. So what were the two disciples doing here? Right? They were simply walking. They were traveling from one point to another. And what did the hidden Jesus do? He explained to them all of the things in the scripture. They walked and Jesus explained. Okay? They walked and Jesus explained. Now, uh, they get to essentially this village called Emmaus, and <clears throat> uh, Luke tells us as they approached, um, Jesus acted as if he were going to continue on. Um, but the, the other two um, disciples urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Now, I really like this part. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. Shazam, right? And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? That's an astonishing thing. They're walking along, they get a Bible lesson, they sit down to eat, and then they realize, oh, this isn't just an Old Testament scholar. That was the man himself. And then he disappears. It's an astonishing little story. So what were they doing? They were sitting and they were eating. And as they sat, Jesus revealed himself. They sat and Jesus revealed himself. Are you getting the impression that there might be a pattern going on here? Peter ran and was amazed. They walked and Jesus explained. They sat and Jesus revealed himself. There's this thing that's, that's going on. There's some movement by the disciples. There is a response by God, right? And Luke is using this as a device to move you along in the story. There's movement here. And what's really cool <clears throat> is because it's just now getting good, right? That was a great story. It gets better. Hold up. Because those two men who had just walked seven miles with Jesus head back to Jerusalem because they have to explain this news, this story that they just experienced themselves. And so they go back to Jerusalem and they tell the 11 and all of the others what's going on. Because remember, it was just not too long ago that the women went to the tomb and Peter ran to check it out. And so now all of a sudden, no, no, no. We were walking along, we got taught, and we found out it was from Jesus. And so they run back and they have this, this discussion. And here's verse uh, 36. While they were still talking about this event that occurred, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. Yeah, you think? Because all of a sudden you're having this discussion and poof, there he is. Now, 
The Bible doesn't say that it went poof, but in my head, there's a poof, okay? There's some type of thing that lets you know and kind of gives you a little jump start. Um, a little, little thing that happens there, a little poof. So I just I love this. I love this because while they were talking, while they discussed, Jesus showed up, Right? They're having this conversation. They're talking about, wait a minute, what's going on? And they're probably talking over each other and they're, they're maybe a little excited and they might be a little more um, amazed and wondered and they're probably wondering if everyone else is drinking a little bit or something because this is crazy talk and yet, boom, there he is. He just kind of shows up. They discussed and Jesus showed up. And what's, what's really astonishing is he then shows him his hands and his feet so that they could see that it was really him. And, and then even more astonishing, he says he's hungry. And so they give him some fish to eat because, you know, what does Peter do? He's a fisherman. And so he eats with them. It's very real. And they get a sense that this is, this is Jesus. Now, <clears throat> here's a quick little side note. Another pro tip, if you, if you will. Don't be surprised if God shows up when you're gathered and you're talking about him. Don't be surprised if God shows up when you're having a discussion about him. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're, <clears throat> well, if you're in my world, you're drinking coffee and you're sitting across from someone and you might be talking about faith things or real life things and you realize that there's a holy moment that's occurring right now. Has that happened to you? And you realize, I think, I think God just sat down at our table too. Don't be surprised by that. If you are talking about him and the things that he's doing, God likes that. He, he likes to hang out in those types of, of environments. And this is why we often ask in our small groups this question. Where did you see God working this week? Because if we then have a conversation about where God was working, about the things that he was doing, the things that you have observed him doing, there's a very good chance that God's going to show up again in your conversation, in the midst of your discussion. And he might startle you, which would be totally cool. But that's the reason why we ask that question. Where is God real to us? right now. Those are the conversations we ought to be having with one another because they're encouraging, aren't they? Don't you get a charge out of the fact where God en ended up doing something in the life of someone that you know and you kind of get excited about it for a number of reasons. One of which is, well, if God did that for them, there's a good chance he might do it for me too, right? It's an encouraging thing. And sometimes um, I've noticed this a lot, especially with, uh, with Christians. Um, depending on what their circumstances are, but they'll describe an event and not even realize it was God at work. And I think one of my favorite things to do for people is to say, hey, you, you know that, that moment when that thing happened? Yeah, that might have been God. Really? Yeah. I, I think it was. And here's why. And then all of a sudden you have that holy moment. It's a cool thing. Often happens with unbelievers too. 
when you get the opportunity to describe to them a move of God in their life that they may have missed. More than once, God's Spirit becomes part of the conversation. Now, look what happens next. Jesus continues to speak with them. And he, in the, uh, Luke writes, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Because remember, up until that point, he was explaining it to them. Now he opened up their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And at the very end, he says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, which is the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Okay? Of course, Luke wrote the book of Acts, and we all know what happens in Acts chapter 2. And if you don't, go look it up, because you should. It's a great story. You need to read that. They are clothed with power. But what were the disciples doing in this moment? Jesus, poof, shows up. He immediately has their attention. So what are they doing? They're listening. They listened and then Jesus connected the dots for them. Opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures in our language would be connect the dots. You see this? They listened and Jesus connected the dots for them. Now, there's so many things that we could draw out of this. There's all kinds of interesting things that are happening here. But let me summarize it this way. When we run to God, he often amazes us. When we run towards him, he often amazes us. Now, sometimes uh, he amazes us with signs and wonders. Sometimes. But more often than not, I think he, he amazes us with his, his mercy and his grace. I mean, think about who we're talking about in this story. We're talking about Peter. Remember him? He was the guy who denied him. Can, can you imagine what that would be like when Jesus said, you are going to deny me, no, I'll never do that, and the moment that you, you do, you realize that what Jesus said came true. Can you imagine that guilt and shame? It's almost too much. This person that I said that I would never leave, this person that I would, I said that even if all these other people took off, Jesus, I'm still your guy. I'm your boy. And there he was, denying him. I, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. And yet, Peter still ran to look. Think about that for a moment. Even though he had denied him and ran away, he ran to him. And here's the thing, when you're guilty of something and you're feeling bad, who is the last person you want to talk to? One is the person that you've offended, and number two is God. Because I know when I do something stupid, the last thing I want to do is to pray. Well, we should pray about that. Nope, mm-mm, don't want to do that. And yet I know that's the right thing to do. And that's what Peter shows us, is Peter's is feeling that guilt, he's feeling that pain, he's feeling all that, and yet he still runs to the tomb to check it out. 
and he's amazed by it. And here's the thing that I've noticed, that when I'm feeling that way, and when I finally sit down, and I finally, for me, crack open my journal, and I confess that stupid thing that I did, I'm amazed because I almost immediately feel, feel a sense of peace. Yeah, I needed to do this. Am I the only one? Am I preaching to myself here? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we all have experienced that at some point. When we walk with God, he teaches us. A great phrase in the Old Testament about how people would walk before the face of God. It might be a helpful diagnostic, too. If you're not growing, if you don't feel like you're learning anything, here's my question. Are you walking with him? That's not a guilt thing. I'm not trying to you know, make you feel bad about that, but I'm just saying, is like, look, if you feel like... Oh, I'm just stagnant in my faith. Are you walking with God? Because that's when he teaches you. Walking with him. When we sit with God, he reveals himself. When we sit with God, he reveals himself. We uh, use this um, diagram uh, quite a bit. It's the discipleship triangle. You have that relationship on the bottom between me and God, between you and God. And then you have life, which is what you're assigned to do. And a lot of people try to do life and they, they claw their way up the left side of the triangle. And then they wonder why they're frustrated and it doesn't work. And but when we sit with God at the bottom of the triangle, he reveals himself. And interestingly enough, we usually get the empowerment or the anointing in order to live the life that, that we want to live and the one that he wants us to live. Do you see that? It's a simple diagram, but I think it makes a whole lot of sense for all of us. When we sit with God, especially at the bottom of the triangle, God tends to reveal himself to us. When we talk with others about what God did, he often shows up. He often surprises us. It used to be a practice within a lot of churches, but specifically within the Church of God called Testimony Night. Do you remember some of this? That's what that, this is about. <clears throat> We discuss what God had done in someone's life. And interestingly enough, God tends to show up because like I said, he, he likes to be part of those discussions too. Now, we don't necessarily do testimony in church, um, but that's what we do in a small group. That's why we ask the question, where do you see God working? Gives you an opportunity to give a testimony, here's what God has done. Or here's what I think God is doing. I'm not sure he's done yet. Because if you haven't noticed, the renovation of your heart isn't a weekend project. Some of you are giggling because you know what I'm talking about. And so we do these uh, discussions within our small groups in order to give testimony to what God has done, but also so that others can feel encouraged by it and then... God tends to show up. I know it's happened in my small group many times. 
we have this discussion, and all of a sudden, God begins to reveal other things because people start talking. Now, who's responsible for that? Is that something, well, well the senior pastor did it? No! It has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with the fact that God's people are talking about the goodness of God. And God shows up and he begins, because we're sitting with him now, and then he begins to reveal himself to us. And then we can walk with him during the week and he begins to teach us. Do you see how all of this happens? There's movement here. Mm. And then when we listen to God, he connects the dots. We gain insight. Sometimes we get a prophetic word. Sometimes God goes into our future and tells us what we're going to need then to bring it to us right now so we can start working in that direction. Sometimes he does that. He gains insight and he'll tell us who he is and his nature and how much he loves us and why he wants us to do certain things. It's an encouraging thing when God reveals himself to us, when you begin to understand that he really does love you and that's the heart of God. Because it's easy to say, isn't it? It's easy just to go, oh yeah, God loves me. And sometimes we need to let that go not just in our ears and in our brains, but actually sink sink into our hearts. I was just thinking about, about this. As I'm saying this, there's a, um, something that I was reading related to uh, um, gardening and with water. And when you're gardening, and like if you're gardening on a slope, one of the things that you have to do is you have to figure out how to slow the water down so it doesn't wash away your your stuff. And I got this area in my backyard where I got a little bit of, of a slope. And one of the things that I have to figure out how to do is to slow that water down so that I can sink it into the ground so it doesn't wash off the property. You sink it and you store it. The same thing is true with the love of God. You've got to slow down so that it can sink into you so you can store it in your heart. Oh, that's good. Thank you, Jesus. That's a good point, David. Yeah. Slow down so that that, that love can sink, be stored in your heart. Finally, Luke describes um, throughout this story what the disciples did and how Jesus responded. But I want you to notice a shift right here at the end of the story. I want you to see this. Verse 50. When Jesus had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Do you see what changed here? It wasn't the disciples moving was Jesus moving. There's a shift in the storyline. Jesus led them. Jesus blessed them. Jesus was taken from them up into heaven. It was the action of God, the activity of God. And what did the disciples do? They worshiped. It is always appropriate to worship when God moves. Always. It is never not appropriate to worship when God moves. Keep that in mind. 
But throughout this text, throughout these little vignettes, do you see the movement? Not just the movements of the disciples, not the movements of Jesus, but rather there's movement through the story, moving us along to get us to the point of worship. And they worshiped him that, in that moment. And so I think the question is, where is God moving? Where do you see God moving? Is he moving? And if you don't see it, might want to ask him about that. God, where are you moving? See, the heart of God is to move on behalf of his kingdom and in your best interest. God wants you to be involved in that movement He doesn't move just for the sake of moving. He moves for the sake of his kingdom and for your growth and maturity. And the real question is, where is God moving? Where is he moving? Because that's very often an invitation for you to join in what he's doing in that moment. At the very least, he's going to reveal something of himself to you. And how cool would that be? So where is God moving? Let's pray. Jesus, you are moving. It is in your nature to move. You tell us to be still and to know that you are God. But you are active. At the very minimum, you're You're loving us. So God, where are you moving? And the people who are gathered here, and the people who are gathered online, where are you moving? God, would you open our eyes to your movement? Would you open our eyes to the things that you're up to so that we can join you, we can worship you, we can do the appropriate response, but that we get to do it with you and we get to learn more about you. Thanks, God, for moving. Thanks, God, for showing us. Thank you for teaching and for revealing and all of the good things that you do. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us, as we walk out of here today, would walk with you and that we would understand just how good your heart is towards us. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Everybody said.